Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. It's always a wonderful day in the New Southern Garden because there's always something that needs to be done, isn't there? Right now, uh, my garden is full of weeds, particularly the vegetable garden. You know, when you grow plants for a living, sometimes the last thing you want to do when you get home after work is grow more plants. Sometimes. I have to confess. So there's a lot that needs to be done in my vegetable garden, but things are coming in. They're coming in wild and crazy. Plenty of tomatoes. Uh, planted squash late, I think I mentioned that, and cucumbers, and they're getting going. We had a few cucumbers, a couple of squash. I know that once they really get going, they won't, they won't hold back. We see some melons growing, getting big. Some watermelons, cantaloupes, banana, banana melon. I think I mentioned that early in the spring when we were planting, but banana melon is this really cool melon. I, I don't know how successful it's going to be. I don't think I positioned it in the right spot. I think it gets a little bit too much shade because our garden gets afternoon shade, which I think is essential. But the back corner where these banana melons are, I think gets just a little too much shade. So maybe we'll get something, but not holding my breath for that. But regardless, there's always something to do in the garden and... Last week and the week before, we talked about new shrubs for 2022. Some of them are fairly brand new, just a few years released from some breeding programs. And then, of course, some are plants that maybe will be new to you or new to your garden. They may have been around for a long time, but they are tried, true, dependable, and something that I think is worth you trying. So if you missed that two-parter episode, if you couldn't join us here live at 10 a.m. on WRWH, 93.9 93.9 FM. This is your hometown radio. If you couldn't join us at 10 a.m. because maybe you went to uh, slept in late on a Saturday, <laughs> well, you can check all that out at NewSouthernGarden.com. And, of course, uh, after the program is over, we upload the show to the cloud, whatever the cloud really is, that thing above us that holds all the information that man has at his fingertips. <laughs> uh, we send it to the cloud <laughs> after the end of the program on the podcasting apps, uh, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, if you're on Android, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, uh, you will find New Southern Garden in a lot of places, including Facebook and Instagram. So if you haven't uh, befriended us on Facebook or followed us on Instagram or whatever lingo we're using these days, be sure to do so because you'll get some updates and some Maybe just some ramblings from me. Maybe some photographs of things that are pretty, pretty cool. So today on New Southern Garden, I would like to start talking. I think this may turn into a series of, of shows, uh, but I, we've never, we haven't talked much, at least recently, about styles of gardening. And what I mean, of course, is, well, like today, we're going to talk about the uh, creating a cottage garden 
if you like that look. Maybe uh, a, future, a future show we can talk about styling like an inf- uh, a formal garden. Uh, sort of something with geometrical patterns, straight lines. And then, of course, we could talk about Japanese gardening. Talked about woodland gardening. Uh, I think there are several different garden styles that we could talk about. And, you know, you could use the information from today's program and any future uh, show we may talk about uh, to blend certain styles, to create a certain look. Because, you know, the beautiful thing about gardening, unlike, say, Mm, vehicles, cars, trucks, is that there are no two gardens that are exactly the same. But things that are produced in a factory, such as vehicles, cars, trucks, there are plenty more than two vehicles that look exactly the same. Uh, And we're going to talk a bit about that today because um, this cottage gardening style sprang up. It sprang up right around the time of industrialization. Of course, when the economy started to produce things out of factories, uh, assembly lines, they were making things fast, quick, and cheap, but everything was identical. There was a group of people uh, who they sort of, I don't know when they coined the term, but they started this movement in revolution or revolting against industrialization. They call themselves the arts and crafts movement, or at least we know, know it by the arts and crafts movement. And that was a groups of people who really wanted to bring back the old ways, who wanted to bring back uh, hand-woven baskets or hand-woven tapestries or handmade pottery. Rather than having things come off an assembly line and everything being identical, Yes, it's cheaper, but there's something about the lifestyle, about being able to create and creating your own goods. Well, of course, the arts and crafts movement sort of was a blip. I mean, there are still people today uh, who like to go and go to arts and crafts festivals and fairs, and there's a lot of handmade stuff there. But, you know, sometimes you go to those places and you do see booths with stuff that's obviously uh, maybe from overseas that's been made in a factory. You know, it looks artsy, looks craftsy, but it's probably factory made. So I don't know how much of our current civilization, of course, has embraced that idea. But in the garden, in the garden, that cottage style gardening sprang forth from a revolution against that and some other things. So we're going to talk about that today. The, the first thing I want to talk about is what exactly is a cottage garden? What exactly is a cottage garden? Well, there's a lot of ways you could define it, a lot of ways some people have defined it. On some of the research and books that I was reading about cottage gardening, um, there was a gentleman who termed cottage gardening as the poor man's garden. You know, when you think of cottage gardens, you think of a lot of plants, a lot of different types of plants, and you see plants rambling and spreading on top of each other. It looks like a wild mess. It, it looks just like like a natural, right? And so this cottage garden is essentially a poor man's garden because it doesn't take a lot of cash to create a cottage-style garden. Now, this cottage-style garden came from that time period, maybe 150 years ago, right after the Victorian era, and or around the Victorian era. And back then, the Victorian era, they had these very large, ornate, uh, formal gardens. You know, you see it, like, say, at Versailles, so uh, in, in France. 
large estates had these large gardens that were highly manicured. Plants were in neat, perfect rows, uh, geometric patterns, shapes, geometric shapes, straight lines. All of this built up to say, I am man ruler of the earth. (laughs) I am man ruler of this garden. Look at what I can do by shaping nature into unnatural forms. And so all of that took a lot of money. As a matter of fact, in the Victorian days, they encouraged and they loved to use bedding plants. Now, you and I, we use bedding plants. In the spring, we go buy a tray of petunias, begonias, whatever. But these folks in the Victorian era, they had so much money, so much wealth, (laughs) the rich gardeners, if you will, that they would plant large gardens full of tropical annual plants. Now, that became very expensive because, first of all, these plants had to be produced in a greenhouse. And coming from a a guy who works in the nursery, it is very expensive. It does cost a good bit of money to produce plants over winter to have ready for spring that need a lot of heat. Because in the wintertime, it's too cold for these plants. They won't survive. You know that. The the petunias, the begonias, they get frozen out at our first frost. So it's very expensive to produce them. And it's also very expensive to garden with them because they were using such a large quantity of these plants. They would have to replace large quantities every year, every year, in order to create these large Victorian bedding plants or plantings. So with all of that being said, this poor man's cottage uh, garden, a poor man's garden, the cottage-style gardening, it comes out of uh, essentially where peasants were gardening. Peasants may have a couple of acres of land, and they were integrating all kinds of plants, flowering plants, vegetable plants, uh, fruit trees, fruit bushes, uh, vines, and also herbs. They were combining all of these plants into small spaces because they didn't have the luxury of acres and acres and acres. They just made it all work. And of course, because you had a little bit of this here, a little bit of that there, it gave you that cottage look, that kind of natural planting. So poor man's garden is definitely a way to describe cottage gardening. And also, I like to call cottage gardening organized chaos. Because from a distance and from maybe a not trained eye, a cottage garden looks chaotic. However, there is organization there to some degree, all right, to some degree. We are layering plants in certain ways. Maybe we are grouping plants in certain ways. And then, of course, uh, we are removing plants that don't, that maybe spring up on their own. And that's, uh, that is a, a sense of organization there. We are controlling it. Careless planting is another way. And I don't mean uh, when, when we call cottage gardening careless planting, we don't mean careless. We mean care less. So we have to care for it less. Think about it. If we're using plants that come back year after year, we're not having to replant. Those Victorian days when they were using those annual plants year after year, they had to replant season after season. They really had to put care into it. So it's care-less planting. And I also like to call cottage gardening a mimicry of nature, uh, a garden that tries to mimic nature. It tries to do what nature is already doing. 
Let me give you a quick history. We've already started talking about that Victor- Victorian bedding plants. Okay, so those rigid lines, straight lines, uh, straight rows of plants, annual plants that constantly were dying at the end of the season, being replanted the next, dying at the end of the next season, being replanted the next. A lot of waste, maybe, um, and a lot of cash being paid out, uh, a lot of things that didn't seem too natural. And there was a group of people I'm going to talk about today, a couple of guys and girls, uh, who really saw that. And they were encouraging folks to garden a different kind of way. So first of all, we have this man named William Robinson. Now he is an Englishman, um, but he was born in 1838 and he died in 1935. He lived a fairly long life. That was nearly 100 years. Died at 96, I guess, if the math is right. Um, But William Robinson was a gardener. He was a horticulturalist. He um, started writing. He was fairly... uh, wasn't necessarily born into nobility. Uh, He wasn't necessarily a rich guy, uh, but he started writing about horticulture, selling books. Uh, He he maintained and edited, uh, produced a magazine back in the day that many people would add columns to, and that made him pretty wealthy. And so he started, he bought him a manor called Grave Tie Manor, which is a pretty elaborate place. But out there, he was doing different kinds of plantings on his property. He was encouraging people through his writing to use dense perennials and ground covers. So instead of those annual plants that uh, may be sparse and in between and they planted too far apart where ground was exposed, use dense perennials to cover the ground. He also said with that in mind, let's not expose any soil because there was a lot of exposed soil in that Victorian bedding planting. So let's cover the ground as well as we can. Uh, He also encouraged to use native plants and of course, hardy plants. And remember, hardy plants are those plants that come back year after year, like shrubs, perennials, most trees. If it dies at the end of the season, then it is a tender annual and it only was meant to grow for one year but William Robinson says let's stop with the expense of buying more and new plants and let's grow a garden that returns year after year on its own and of course he encouraged people to plant these perennials in these natural looking drifts just like we would see in mother nature or well in nature so that's William Robinson and he um He did all the writing, and you can still find books today. I think they're not necessarily publishing new books, but they are publishing like reprints of the books, so like photocopies, I guess, (laughs) of the old ones. Uh, But he also had a friend. He also had a friend who um, was a contemporary. Well, they eventually became friends. But her name is Gertrude Jekyll. Now, it's spelt like Jekyll, as in Jekyll Island. (laughs) But the British use, or every time I've heard her name pronounced, it's Gertrude Jekyll. Now, she was an artist who was also a gardener, and she brings to the table a sense of artistry to the landscape in the cottage garden. So when we get back from this break, we're going to talk about William Robinson's friend and uh, counterpart, Gertrude Jekyll. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share 
whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. That's Eden Rose encouraging you to give cottage gardening a go. Give it a try. Today we are talking all about cottage gardening and, and the, a little bit of the history, where it came from, uh, what it's made up of, the things you need to think about if you do want to create a cottage garden. And remember, cottage gardens don't have to be very large spaces. A cottage garden could be a small planting around a shed or maybe around the corner of your house. It doesn't have to be a very large, elaborate planting. Of course, that's exactly what William Robinson, a horticulturalist in the late later part of the uh, 1800s and early 1900s, was encouraging people to do. And before the break, I was telling you about a friend of his, or a lady who became a friend of his, Gertrude Jekyll, who also, she was a, a gardener, horticulturalist. She was a... Uh, a watercolorist, she painted, and uh, she eventually uh, started to go blind and losing her vision, and she started to design spaces for people, design gardens, and it said that instead of using a paintbrush on paper, she was using plants, like a stroke of a paintbrush, and we'll talk about why in a minute, because basically, she would do these hardy flower border paintings. She would create, and when we say hardy flower border, we mean plants that come back year after year. We tend to call them perennials. She would use these big, broad strokes of very vibrant color, sometimes in the pastels. Uh, but the idea was, well, we think that because she was losing her vision, uh, she could see things better if they were in big, bold blocks of color. And that is something that still holds true today. We can see things much better if we group them in large masses. Today, we usually use the word swath, S-W-A-T-H, a swath of color, and the same concept of uh, quilting. You know, if you, I don't know much about quilting, but I do know that the quilters usually use big blocks and, of bold colors. And the idea is that when you put things uh beside each other in big bold colors instead of one of these one of those one of these one of those it's more easily seen and it is a bit more impressive so Gertrude Jekyll is really I would almost call her the grandmother or the mother of uh, cottage gardening because she uh, brought to the table some things that nobody had really thought before of course she loved to use color she also brought to the table using texture now, I have talked with you on this program for many times about using texture in the landscape. And remember, texture is where we have, uh, it's actually the physical quality of a plant. So some plants have very big, broad leaves. Those, we would say, have a coarse texture. They're very rough looking. But then you have some plants like grasses, uh, maybe some conifers like the gold mop false cypress or arborvitaes. They have tiny little leaves. 
Those actually have scale like leaves that are so small uh, that it looks fringy. The, 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 the texture there is very soft. So you put a coarse texture and a fine or soft texture beside each other. You've got a great display. And she was encouraging people to do that. Now, she also used something that is kind of hard to grasp. Even for me, it's hard to grasp. But when she was designing her gardens and designing gardens for other people, she used the experience of the garden as a design aspect. So think about that when you're designing your space or putting things together. How is someone going to experience it? Are they going to meander through a kind of woodland path, a curving path, not knowing what's to the left and what's to the right? Will there be surprises along the way? Uh, Will there be sounds, maybe a water feature? Uh, Will there be some fragrant flowers that people can experience? What is the experience people will have? And use that as a design aspect. And of course, she said, even if you're going to create a cottage garden for cutting flowers and bringing them inside, your plants should be displayed for the best effect possible. So again, it would be very easy if it was a cutting garden to have nice, neat little rows, but that's not very um, exciting. She said, group them together, let them interweave with one another so that you have a beautiful display. And that's the last point that we need to make about Gertrude Jekyll is that she encouraged people to grow one thing through another thing. And that's why when we look at photos or paintings of cottage gardens from that time period, we see plants that are rambling through each other. Maybe you've got coneflower and black-eyed Susan planted near each other and their flowers are intermingling, giving you this great display of purple and yellow. Or maybe you see a rose that is climbing up a tree. Maybe you're climbing up an apple tree and it's blossoming out the top of the apple tree. Let plants grow through each other because that's what nature, uh, nature does. Now, Let's talk a little bit about modern day because we've talked a lot about the uh, the beginning of cottage gardening. And it's my experience, at least at the nursery, which is my day job, right? You can find me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia. Many people come in and they say, I don't want that English garden look. I don't want the cottage garden look. It's just messy. I don't like it. Okay. And that's fine. I think that it's getting a bad name. But essentially, the principles of cottage gardening, which we're going to talk about later, have bled into many of our modern plantings. And there are some styles of planting now that we are doing in our own backyards, our own homes, our own gardens, and that major and well-known horticulturalists, at least in the trade, uh, are doing today. So there's a gentleman named Pete Oldoff, and he comes from Europe as well. Uh, But instead of calling what he does cottage gardening, They're calling it naturalistic planting. And, of course, I can't show you a picture. I should probably post one on on Facebook and Instagram. But uh, naturalistic plantings, if you look at some of Pete Oldoff's designs, because he is a horticulturalist, a plantsman, a designer, landscape designer, it looks a lot like the American prairie. You have plants growing through one another. Does that sound familiar? You have things uh, that are... uh, just loose and airy, nothing rigid, nothing informal. It looks like nature could have planted these kinds of gardens. But he really starts to influence us today as thinking about our gardens for the ecology's sake. So there is an ecology aspect added to this style of planting, which is very much like the old style cottage gardening. Now, 
he does encourage color, but more so, he encourages texture, which, of course, Gertrude Jekyll was all about. And he puts a higher emphasis on plant structure. And he does this for a reason, because he thinks that the plants should be chosen for a four-season interest. Now, what used to be the case back in the 18, early 1900s uh, is that the cottage garden was probably more of a spring garden. They used a lot of spring-blooming plants. By the time summer came around, people didn't really want to be outside, which is still true today. Uh, but in the winter, there probably would have been very little to look at. But Pete Oldoff, in today's time, says, let's plant these naturalistic gardens to give us something all year round. And so that plant structure we're talking about, choosing plants for cool structure means the shape of the plant, but more so even maybe the structures that the plant makes. Yes, the plant makes flowers, but that's usually during spring and summer and autumn. But as we get into autumn and winter, those flowers fade and they turn into seed pods. And so with a lot of Pete Oldoff's plantings, you will see seed pods that are persisting all winter long. And so you get little frost on them in the winter, maybe snow sitting on top, and it can be very attractive. We talked about that on a previous episode a long time ago. Uh, so you can check out that um, uh, discussion on NewSouthernGarden.com. And, of course, he encourages long-lived species and clump-forming species. The difference here is like... Uh, Gertrude Jekyll and William Robson, they probably wouldn't have cared if it was a clump-forming species, but Pete Oldoff thinks it should be because clump-forming species does help with our modern-day maintenance concerns. A lot of times we are concerned about no maintenance or low maintenance, and if we have plants that are spreading and rambling too much like they would have had in those traditional uh, gardens, um, cottage gardens, then we would have to cut back and prune and shift and change and all these things. But with clump-forming species, you don't get that. So the point is, folks, that even though cottage gardening it seems a little old-fashioned, it has been revamped and changed. And we'll talk about some more modern ways when we get back from this break because we're going to talk about the elements, what you need to make a garden a cottage garden. Hang on tight. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we've been talking about a certain style of gardening. We've been talking about the history of cottage gardening, where it came from, why it exists, and really talking that it still exists today, but even maybe in more subtle ways than it used to. But for the next half of the program, we're going to talk about the elements of cottage garden design, of what things do you need in this kind of landscape if you're going to sort of be creating a cottage garden. And I think this will probably be the first of a series of uh, garden styles 
and giving, trying to give you the elements and maybe the principles you need to create a certain type of look, a certain type of space. But the reality is, is your garden is your garden. It's nobody else's. And it should look very different than any other garden in the world. So whether you want a cottage garden or a Japanese style garden or whatnot, make sure you make it your own. Make sure you are doing things that make you happy, bring satisfaction to your own soul. So one of the very first principles, one of the very first principles of the cottage garden or the very first element uh, that was pretty popular was the fact that we were encouraged to enclose the garden. Enclose the garden. The reason is because some of the first cottage gardens were actually on shared property. Like I mentioned uh, previously, that a cottage garden is a poor man's garden. It doesn't take a lot of money to grow one. You can grow it from 100 packs of seed or less than 100 packs of seeds. But reality is, is that you would have a essentially peasants who were in the old days in England able to uh, have a small section of land to grow food for them, their family, um, and also flowering plants. So some of these areas were maybe only two acres or less, which to us sounds like a lot of space. But for people who had to rely on that garden to live, it was not a lot of space. <laughs> so of course, if you had this space and your neighbor had that space and their neighbor had that space, you wanted to define your space. So enclosures, things like hedges and fences, and in many cases, walls, they were erected and built so that spaces were defined. Now, today, creating an enclosed cottage garden will help us, yes, to define the space, saying this is a cottage garden, but otherwise, um, it will also create this sort of intimacy and it will bring and pull you in closer to the plants because it's like you're in this uh, enclosed room together and you might be able to experience the plants differently than if you were on an open, uh, open plane or something. But the last thing to say is that um, whether you want a wall or not or a hedge or not, a hedge, a wall, these, these things do create a nice backdrop for intriguing upstage players. Of course, those are your plants. And so having a dark green background with a hedge can really make white flowers pop out. Sometimes they'll get lost if they're just in the air. But if they're up against something very dark, it will help you see them even better. Now, a modern cottage garden, like the naturalistic plantings we talked about earlier, they probably would not need an enclosure. The idea with these naturalistic plantings is we're trying to recreate, uh, recreate a meadow or a prairie like we see out in the Midwest. Now, the next principle, other than enclose the garden, uh, the next principle we need to think about when it comes to cottage gardening is to plant densely. Now, we heard this from both uh, William Robinson, who was the guy promoting wild gardens, <laughs> and Gertrude Jekyll, who was promoting these cottage gardens. They both said, make sure the ground is covered. And Gertrude Jekyll would say something like, uh, don't 
waste one inch of garden space. So we want to allow plants to grow through one another. Uh, this also, I mean, it does give you that natural feel, that wild feel, but it also helps to suppress weeds. The plants, if they're grown close enough together with no spaces in between, yes, it looks like organized chaos. It looks like careless planting, but they create this living mulch. And over time, you don't have to mulch in between the plants because there is no in-between plant anymore, right? There is no in-between plants. Plants are growing through each other. They're growing on top of each other. They're creating this tapestry, a blanket of living mulch on the ground. So plant densely. That is another critical thing for cottage gardening. No space between plants. The third one is going to be to use paths. Using paths is critical, but in the sense of a cottage garden where we're trying to be uh, more natural looking, we don't want to use straight paths. Straight paths are fine, and you may need a straight path just for um, accessibility's sake, just for convenience sake. But regardless, using a lot of straight paths bring in that uh, formality, right? Um, I think there are plenty of cases where we could use straight paths and still have cottage garden planting, but a curve path is interesting. It adds that experience, that experience element to your garden design because you never know what, a, what uh, is around the corner. You never know what is around the bend. And having those bends and curves, like I said earlier, that does help you to put feature elements whether it's some kind of specimen tree or plant, uh, or maybe it's some kind of sculpture or uh, water feature. Maybe someone can hear the trickling of water but doesn't know where it's at. And when they turn around the corner, boom, there is a beautiful fountain. And that can be a great surprise. Now, the other thing, paths in general, I always encourage you when you're creating any kind of garden, whether it's a vegetable garden, uh, whether it's a perennial border or shrub border, whatever, Whatever kind of garden you're creating or adding, always have a path. The reason is because paths give you access for garden work and also for pleasure and leisure and walking through the landscape. More importantly, it also, I think more importantly, it also helps your visitors know where to step. Because if you don't have a defined path, it is it is extremely possible and highly likely <laughs> that your garden visitors are going to be treading all over your beautiful plants. So make sure you're using pathways in a smart way, whatever makes sense for your personal space. The next feature of or element of a cottage garden is going to be to plant small ornamental trees. Now, planting small ornamental trees gives us something that we're going to talk about later, which is planting on the vertical, right? We've talked about covering the ground, but another feature in the cottage garden is to use vertical plantings, and ornamental, small ornamental trees are a great way to do that. We're not necessarily talking about planting large shade trees uh, because we're not creating really a woodland garden. We want a garden that has a bit of shade, but mainly is going to be sunny. So smaller trees are wonderful. So we're getting that vertical interest and having a, a small amount of shade will help you to plant some of those woodland species uh, that like some shade, but can handle some sun. 
You also want to think about uh, with these ornamental trees, what are some of the features you'll have? Many ornamental trees are going to be bloomers like redbud, dogwood, crepe myrtle, and service berry. So think about the flower you're going to get and what time of year it will be blooming. But don't forget to think about the fall color that those ornamental trees may give you. For instance, we're going to use service berry as the example. Service berry I've talked about many times before, and you can find episodes uh, at NewSouthernGarden.com of where we've talked about just service berry and all their great features, but they do have a beautiful white bloom on naked stems in the early part of spring, late winter. So it's a beautiful just flush of fluffy white almost cotton candy like then you get a blue green cute little round leaf throughout summer and those round leaves that once were blue green turn red orange yellow green all modeled together on individual leaves all on the same leaves So you have this great fall color. So think about giving you some interest, not just one time a year, but all year long. Serviceberry also has a great structure or architecture of the branches, its shape. It tends to be multi-stem. You can train it to just having one stem, but multi-stem serviceberries definitely is going to show something beautiful in the winter as well as in the fall and spring and summer. It is a four-season four interest tree, that's for sure. Now, we've talked about the trees. That's the highest planting we would have, and we're not talking about big, large oak trees or maples. We're talking about smaller plants, maybe Japanese maple. But then as we come down, we want to have a layer that, you know, is in the five to eight foot range, where these larger trees uh, may be in the 20 to 30 foot range. We want something that is below that, and we can achieve that kind of planting and some structure in your cottage garden by using flowering and evergreen shrubs. Now, of course, the evergreen shrubs are those plants that are going to stay green all year long. Uh, The evergreen shrubs can be used as your hedges. If you decide you want to enclose your cottage garden, you can use evergreen plants like tea olive and hollies, um, a boxwood even. Uh, You can use these things as hedges, whether they're tall hedges or low hedges or medium-sized hedges, but that will give you some kind of structure and interest when nothing else has leaves on it, evergreen shrubs. They also, uh, you know, if you have the conifers, maybe a few conifers, maybe you do have some gardenias, uh, maybe you have some azaleas, they will have foliage uh, over winter uh, for some interest. Some other plants that are great on the evergreen side are going to be abelias. Um, We've got abelia, which has a beautiful, shiny, uh, glossy leaf, and they flower in the summer. But you may also think about those deciduous shrubs, too. Those are plants that are going to drop their leaves. But plants that usually are highly deciduous are very floriferous. They provide a lot of flowers. And you can get that with roses, of course. Roses sometimes have some leaves on them over winter, since our winters are mild, but they're essentially deciduous. But they bloom all summer. Well, spring through early fall, really. The dutzias, the dutzia is an old-fashioned shrub that blooms in the spring, much like wygelia that blooms in the spring. Uh, They drop their leaves, though. Now, you may be more familiar with viburnum and hydrangea. Of course, viburnums are usually spring bloomers, and they don't necessarily rebloom, even though there are a few species that can 
bloom throughout summer until the first frost, they drop their leaves. But they're heavy bloomers. And hydrangeas, there's all kinds of hydrangeas. And we just recently, well, the past couple of, uh, past couple of weeks, we talked about different hydrangeas that are uh, new to horticulture and definitely need to be introduced to our landscape. So you can check that out at NewSouthernGarden.com as well. Uh, but don't forget about the coniferous, coniferous shrubs. I did mention that. Uh, those have a, a textural component as well as grasses. I usually like to group grasses with shrubs because they are a part of the structure. Grasses can hang out all winter long and they need a shearing in the late part of, uh, of winter. But other than that, um, they'll be there for a long time. Well, gang, you know, the thing about it is there are a lot of elements, uh, a lot of elements that we can use in the uh, cottage garden landscape to make sure we have a beautiful display. Now, we've still got a few more of these elements to go. And while we're talking about these, I want you to sort of start to think how you may combine some of these elements to give you that cottagey feel, but to put your personal spin on it right to put your personal taste and personal desire into it whatever your space demands how can i use some of these you may not have to use all of them and you may use some of these uh ideas or elements in different ways so you can have a very personalized cottage garden when we get back the last and final elements of a cottage garden design hang on tight Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are right in the middle of a discussion on cottage gardening. Now, I know, I mean, I've talked to many people, at least in our local area, uh, about their landscapes and gardening and plants they need to put and want to put and giving people ideas and consulting and designing and all this stuff. And a lot of times I hear that people are turned off by this style we call cottage gardening. Some people just blatantly say, I don't want a cottage garden. I don't want that English garden. And of course, with the English garden, they usually are referring to cottage gardening because that's sort of where it all originated. But when we look at the elements of a cottage garden, we actually find that we're still doing it today. We just probably don't name it that. We don't call it that anymore. Because things like using perennials, using flowering shrubs, these were things that were not done uh, to some degree in the Victorian era, right around the time cottage garden started um, ornamental trees you probably have one in your front yard uh, we in many cases don't want a straight path well straight paths are that formal style of gardening uh, whereas these curved paths that we're talking about uh, with 
with cottage gardening, it's, it's stuck. It still sticks with us. People don't want straight lines anymore. So regardless of if you want or not, you can definitely use, you can definitely use things in a certain way and use parts and pieces of a cottage garden uh, to fit your own taste, your own liking. So the next element um, is to use, we've talked about using uh, flowering trees or ornamental trees. We've talked about using flowering shrubs and evergreen shrubs, and those are helping to create layers. You've got a tall layer with a tree. You've got a medium layer with the shrubs, and then going into annuals and perennials, using annuals and perennials to cover the soil. That's the next element. Your tree will cover a lot of ground, right? Because as its branches get longer, wider, it's going to be shading the ground. It's going to be covering the ground from a high, from a higher altitude. <laughs> then you have your shrubs, which are going to be shading the ground, like wygelia and dutzia and even hydrangeas. They can get wide and spread out. So they're helping to cover the soil. But most likely, you're going to have gaps in between uh, your cottage garden uh, shrubbery. And so using annuals and perennials to do that, to cover the soil so that no inch is wasted and also um, no exposed soil. Those are important things we're talking about. So reseeding annuals, that's where I want to start because annuals are not highly encouraged, remember, in cottage gardening. We're, we're trying to get away from using those tropical plants that had to be replaced every year. But reseeding annuals are sort of perennial because you plant one today and after it dies, it's thrown out seed that will germinate and grow next year. So you don't have to replant those. It's sort of an e ecosystem on its own. But when it comes to these annuals and perennial flowers, we want to think too about the fragrance. Fragrance has always been a big thing in cottage gardening. And I think we're losing some of that today. We just want easy plants. And a lot of easy plants, we lose their fragrance. Um, we also want to handle or deal with uh, native plants. Native plants are wonderful. Remember uh, that William Robinson, who sort of helped start this along with Gertrude Jekyll, he was encouraging the use of native plants. We should have a sense of ecosystem. And using a diverse range, using a diverse range of these plants is going to be beneficial to ecology. We want to work towards self-sufficiency. That is the next element. We want to be using fruit trees. We want to be using sh fruiting shrubs. We want to use fruiting vines that can creep and crawl and climb. We want to use vegetable plants and herbs. That is a critical a critical thing. Even though I don't think they were using the term self-sufficiency when cottage gardening sort of got developed and started 150 or so years ago, they weren't using that word, but we're using it today, and it fits with cottage gardening, even though it may not have been said back in the day because people grew tomatoes and, and, and vegetables and carrots and potatoes, and they grew uh, apple trees and pear trees because they had to. They didn't have a Kroger. They didn't have a market downtown uh, where, or a, a supermarket, I should say, a supermarket just on the other side of the street. They could just go pick up stuff to eat. They had to grow it themselves. So we use the term self-sufficiency today, but it very much is hanging out in that style of gardening that we call cottage gardening. Now, I do want to reiterate the element of vertical space, filling up vertical space. I, I alluded to it when we talked about ornamental trees because they help to uh, scoot up into the air, climb up into the air, and spread out flowers, spread out color in the fall, whatever, uh, uh, whatever feature they have, it's up in the air. So we do want to do the same against walls. I mean, this was, this was the traditional way. 
to allow climbers and ramblers, roses, clematis, uh, any kind of vine, to climb and crawl over and above doorways, over and above openings, whatever that may be. Um, They were allowed to creep up the side of buildings, right? Uh, Also using arbors, pergolas, trellises, and obelisks, which are those uh, basically the, like the uh, obelisk is the, I'm losing it, Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. Um, that is an obelisk, of course, a very large one. Wouldn't necessarily be to scale in any of our landscapes, would it? But you can use these things to have plants climb on if you don't want them climbing and creeping on your house, which most people don't want that these days. <laughs> now, the ninth element that we want to think about is going to be to use a whimsical and fun elements. Use elements that are whimsical. Use elements that are fun. Uh, These may be some kind of sculptures, but we're not talking about ornate and refined sculptures. We're talking about more simplistic sculptures that are nice, that are beautiful, but aren't uh, Michelangelo's David statue, statue of David, right? Like that fits at Versailles, but not, (laughs) that fits in those old Victorian gardens, but not a poor man's garden. A poor man's garden, it may just be a very uh, pretty uh, bath, what bath, what is it, bird bath, a bird bath. Uh, It may be some bird houses, and it may be some kind of uh, whimsical, maybe wind chimes, things like that. So we do want to use the fun and whimsical elements, particularly because, remember, cottage gardens are linked to that arts and crafts movement. And the arts and crafts movement said we need to be creative. We need to be making our own things again. We need to be putting things together. I mean, these uh, garden features, uh, whimsical garden features you use in your landscape, they very well may be made by your hands. And that is just fine because that is in line with the spirit of true cottage gardening. And the last thing, and I hate to throw this one in because, you know, you go through a presentation. Don't you hate it when they go through a presentation and says, here's what you need to do. And then the last rule is don't follow the rules. That is the last one. Don't follow the rules. It seems like a cop out sometime. Like, why did we just talk for an hour about all the rules if we don't have to follow them? (laughs) But it is true. Uh, Remember, as with any part of your garden, it is your space. It is your space. I only encourage people to plant things that they like. If you don't like it, don't plant it. Same with a vegetable garden. Uh, People say, what do I plant my vegetable garden? Whatever you want to eat. If you don't eat tomatoes, don't plant tomatoes. But in the landscape, if you don't like the look of something, don't plant it. The beauty I want to summarize here, like I started with, no two cottage gardens are the same. No two gardens are are the same. And in my personal opinion, that is a beautiful thing because it would be terrible to have gardens that all look the same. There would be nothing different, nothing new. So create your space the way you want to. If you want to use cottage garden style, go ahead and do it. If you don't want to, well then Eden Rose says, give it a go anyways. Make your space your space. Well gang, for New Southern Garden and WRWH 93.9 FM, uh, I am Nathan Wilson, hoping you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's News Southern Garden Show.